0: Kids, you're dismissed. Thank you for staying behind. That was actually just for my daughter. (laughs) Okay. So does it really mean that as we mature, we get wiser? As we get older, wiser. Um, I don't know. Uh, It's a the interesting part of that lyric was that as we get older, we're more secure. Do any of you feel secure right now? At all. Right. Do you feel any more that the world makes more sense? No, No, exactly. So why did I show you this video then? Well, because we're going into Luke chapter 17 and uh, I, I find that uh, many times, I don't know if you ever uh, read this chapter or even the other gospels are related, similar to this, but a lot of uh, times I hear it and it's nothing wrong with it. It, they, They tend to relate with spiritual children, you know, like spiritual immaturity. Yes, you could read it that way. But I expect to differ. I'm going to try to offer a different point of view, and I think it's more about children, like literally, children and adults. Um, I'm taking a a, um, a project management course at UBC, uh, and then they one time uh, uh, they were doing a um, uh, it's a full day course, like for twelve Saturdays, eight to nine to five. Yeah, why do I do that? Because I love pain. <laughs> um, it's like uh, so they were doing oh let's icebreaker, let's introduce ourselves. So why are you taking the project management course, John? I want to bring the take the dolt out of adult, get it? <laughs> so I want to make new friends, you know, type of thing. It's because, you know, we, it just getting older, is just doesn't make sense, right? And so I wonder if Jesus is actually saying, yeah, it doesn't. That's why you need a childlike faith. Because as you get older, life doesn't make sense. And sometimes we got to revert back to our childlike ways to make things more sense. Here's what I mean. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. Now, when we get older, uh, yes, we get wiser, maybe, uh, for some of us, wiser. For me, <laughs> debatable. <laughs> Just ask my wife. Um, but there's th- some things that uh, are a blessing, but there's also curses, right? And one of the curses that Jesus is going to identify for us is pride. As we get older, we actually become prideful. And that's why maybe that's why a lot of things don't make sense. Because we become more and more focused on ourselves. Now, here's a question. Do you have pride? Be careful. Because if you say no, it took a lot of pride to say that. Right? Of course we all have pride. (laughs) Right? Of course we all have pride. Anytime we, we feel that we deserve something, that's pride. Every time that we say that I want something done my way, that's pride. Every time that we tell some a child, that no, you have to do it this way, my way or the highway, that's pride. No, I deserve a raise, that's pride. right? No, I want not that's pride, right? <laughs> that's pride. You know, like, it, because you're just basically focusing on yourself. So don't ever, like when somebody say, do you have pride? That's a tough question. You say, "Of course I do." I have pride. Up to the yin yang I have pride. Right? But then the interesting thing is, uh, like if you were if you're a Christian and you read your bibles, you would go, "Oh man, again? Why is Jesus always talking about pride?" There's like this top three topics, right, of Jesus. Money, <laughs> pride, and repentance. Right? Like, you know, like he keeps on talking about it over and over. Don't you think? Okay, we've been through Luke. Like, how many chapters already? Guys, come on, seventeen. 17. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then, like, and then, what are the common themes? Pride, humility, right? Pride, money. We just talked about money again, right? Repentance. Holy moly, Jesus! Literally, do <laughs> you really? Are you kidding me? Why are you talking? To me? It's because Jesus knows us very well. And he knows that we tend to go with the least passive resistance, which is our amygdala, that part of our brain. Right? And, uh, and we always go to it. And that always has fear, anxiety, always selfish, selfish, insecurity, and safety. It all comes from that primitive part of the brain. And Jesus knows that. We depend on it way too much and less on the frontal cortex. So Jesus always says, use your brain. Think about this. You know, take a look at yourselves more often. This is how you, you that prevents you from having faith in God. And coincidentally, for us Christians, we believe that having faith is our identifier as God's child, right? But then the, the problem is, Jesus says, Well, you're depending way too much on yourselves, in you know, this amygdala. And that's what's preventing you to have faith in Jesus. Follow? So this pride thing is huge. So here's that Jesus does repeat it often. And you know what? As he's leading up to the cross, this is 17 here. How many chapters in Luke? 24, right? We're coming kind of close. And what is his main message? Stop being prideful. Stop being prideful. Stop being prideful because it's getting there. The cross is coming. The cross is coming. So we're going to hear more of it soon. Okay, who's there? Luke chapter 17. Let's start with verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Hmm, I gave it away here. Now where else have we seen little ones, children? Chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. Here, let me read it. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the little children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it." This is what we call an enclosed sandwich again. It's it's good to pinpoint these things. You know, we begin, Luke is brilliant. He goes and says, children in the beginning, little ones. And then he ends off with little ones, children. And he's telling us, look, guys, for those of you who are reading this. Take all of the stuff in the middle in this context. And what is this context? Something it has to do with something about children. Why do I say that? Well, let's take a look at Luke chapter 18, verse 15. People were also bringing babies. Were also bringing children. Now, if you don't... It's a, it's a little odd, but if you know your gr- grammar, <laughs> right? And you know your Greek a little bit. Were is called an imperfect tense. So let's say... Kiefer was breathing. Does that mean that he stopped breathing now? No, (laughs) right? Do we know when he started breathing? Not really, right? Probably started breathing when he came out. But But we know that he's breathing, and he was breathing, right? So meaning that it was going on, but no one knows when. So it is safe to assume grammatically, Greek grammatically actually, that people were bringing children and babies ever since the start of his ministry. So that he just continues and continues and continues. So meaning, in chapter 17, there were kids already around. And so when Jesus said, oh, things that cause people to stumble and do not let the little little ones stumble, he's actually referring to the kids too. He's really referring to the kids. So it is safe to actually say that in context, anything in the middle now, is talking about kids versus being adulthood. You gotta follow? And it has something to do, and then of course, what does that have to do with pride? Well, let's move on. Let's go to verse three. Ooh, sorry. That's a lot, right? The next slide, ooh. Uh, good luck. Okay, so let me read it and you can follow. This is paired up as well. Okay, let's try the first uh, first, part one of the first pair. So watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you, Rebuke them and if they repent forgive them even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you saying I repent you must forgive them. The Apostle said to the Lord. Oh How can I do this? Increase our faith He replied if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you can say to this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea And it will obey you suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he has told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, what is that paired up with if we follow the structure? 9 to 14 in chapter 18. So if you could click it over there or just read it up there. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked on on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, like Henry, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, I'm just kidding, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I go to church every Sunday, I read my Bibles, I memorize my verses, I take my kids to I want to. You know that, you get it. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who uh, exalt themselves will be humble and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What's up with this pair? Because we have to pair it because that's how it's structured. Jesus says and commands, just do it, just forgive. No ifs, no ands, or buts. Forgive, forgive for those who wrong you. Now we have to remember, who are the who is Jesus commanding the disciples to forgive? You guys remember? Who are the big bad Romans? Jesus told to forgive your enemies. Who were the enemies back then? Not your boss, not the one who backstabbed you, or shared rumors about you. It's the very guys who killed off your parents, took your brothers and sisters away, stole your money away, exploited you, enslaved you, and took over and robbed your church of its money. Totally, it's the big bad Romans. How can you possibly forgive those guys? The worst of the worst. They continually come to your house unannounced, and take things away from you. They continually come out now to enslave your daughter, to say, hey, oh, we're going to use your daughter as a play toy. They continue to daily, daily, daily do it. Seven times, seven times seven, seven times seven, times seven. That's how it is. Count them. And Jesus is telling the disciples, forgive them. No wonder the disciples says, whoa. That's a huge task. Increase our faith, Lord. That's like, that, that's basically the same thing as saying, it's impossible to do this. You follow? It's impossible to forgive these people. Maybe we're, we're not in that extreme context. Um, let me give you an example here for myself. I've been a Strata Council President for four years and counting, because I'm just a schmo. And uh, I just, nobody else is volunteering, so I have to like step in, right, all the time. But I love it. I, I do like it. I do like it. All <laughs> right. But then there are times when uh, you know there's owners out there who don't do what according to bylaws, right? So they don't pay their strata fees on time. They're very late, uh, and they late, 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 late. And then uh, no matter how many notices, they they just throw the notices away. I know because I see it in the gar- uh, in their garbage. Garbage is like. Like thrown around their property, and uh, they don't use uh, they don't use recycled bags into the compost, and then so then we get fined there, <laughs> right? And then uh, so what else is there? They disobey uh, visitor parking uh, privileges, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right? And then so then you go, okay, I'm gonna forgive him, especially repeat offenders. Okay, we have one repeat offender that's consistently repeating uh, these offenses. I'm gonna forgive him, more. And then they do it again. <laughs> I'm going to forgive again. They do it again and again. And I go, okay, how many times, Lord, before I, like, open a can of whoop-ass, right? Like, you know, like, when is the time, right? And then, and then I always be reminded of this passage and other passages that Jesus commands, forgive because you've got to do it. Just do it. And guess what, John? Don't expect anything in return. Don't expect that when you forgive, that you could lock it away in a storage saying, I will use this against this person tomorrow, right? Don't say, oh, like, uh, forgive this person, and then suddenly you walk away, and after two years, they do something wrong again, and you come back going, hey, remember that time that I forgave you? You owe me. We don't. That is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is actually forgiveness without any expectations of return. Because Jesus says, you think that, if a mass, that the, when the master tells a servant to do something that they're supposed to do, does the master say, oh, thank you, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's blah, blah. No, Jesus says, a master tells you, and you just do it because you're an unworthy servant, and you should know that. So Jesus is commanding us, he's our master, commanding us to forgive. He says, just do it. Don't expect any gratitude. Don't expect me to praise you, because you know what? It's a commandment. It's a commandment. Forgive. It's a commandment. And you know what? Once we obey, like uh, one of the passages we once uh, uh, looked at in Deuteronomy, in obedience, God enables. When we obey, God enables us to forgive. When we take a step forward, guess what? It's not impossible. God will actually enable us. But all it takes is obedience. It's that one step. Don't always uh, presume that it's impossible to forgive. It is, just take that step. So Jesus said, do it. But also, why do we not want to forgive? Because it takes a lot of humility to forgive. Think about the Romans did a lot of wrong to them. A lot of wrong. And they know that they have every right to, uh, to take revenge. Every right, in fact, they do have every right. If you look at it, uh, they do have every right to take revenge. They should, it's justice. However, Jesus says, no, you gotta forgive them because that's pride you're talking about. Whenever we say, I deserve justice, or I deserve this, or I deserve that, we deserve this, Jesus says, that's pride. And it takes a lot of humility to forgive somebody. So it takes a lot of humility for me to forgive that owner because really, what does it really mean when I cannot forgive this person? Because they're they're doing something that's not according to my way. I have expectations on them so I am having trouble to forgive them. I have expectations on my coworkers and colleagues one time when I was working back then as a manager. What was the expectation? Take a wild guess. I've been parking about it, come on. Oh no, I'm a horrible leader. All right, punctuality. Time, on time, right? And then I, it's like, and then, uh, so then I go, but why is it unforgivable for me? Why is, why is it so hard for me to forgive? It's because I'm really actually, it's about me. I have those expectations and I'm trying to impose myself onto others and that's pride. So yes, it takes a lot of humility to forgive. It's not because of, you know, we could say, well, John, I am a law-abiding citizen, you know, I am a good person, I never sin. i this says, I'm for sure going to get to heaven. No, actually, the biggest litmus test for your faith is the ability for you to forgive. That's the biggest litmus test. Is there somebody right now that you can picture that you're finding hard to forgive right now? Picture that. The reason why you picture it is because the Holy Spirit's now telling you, it's time to forgive. Time to forgive that person or persons, or persons, person, persons. Depending on how many enemies you made, I don't know. But it's a person. Time to forgive. Let's move on. I hope you're following this. So again, it's about pride, it's about humility. Second pair. Oh dear, it's even worse. Okay, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was, as he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Ooh, (laughs) darn, burn. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Next pair, the one that, that corresponds with this one. I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me." Jeez, you're afraid of a. Okay, anyway. (laughs) And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And he will not, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Okay, this looks a, a little difficult right? But let's unpack it a little bit. For a very long time, we know that the Jews have been praying for what? To God. A, come back, right? Come back to us, right? Because you left us, right? But B, what else? Give us, avenge us. Avengers, remember? Give it like, help us to take revenge on the Romans, right? So those were the two. Well, for a very long time, God was really silent. So, and we know that through our studies so far, many groups formed to tell the Jews how to behave, right? And then what laws to follow and what more laws to follow so that they could bring in a warrior-like Messiah to, you know, be their Captain America, to lead the Avengers, assembly Avengers, and take over Thanos, right? That type of thing. Caesar being Thanos. Okay, you guys got the picture. When Jesus arrived, this is the type of context that they're in. It. It's almost in the context where the Jews believe that we got to do something so that God can act. You know Benjamin Franklin. You know, like, uh, you know, it's like God will help those who help others. help themselves. That's not biblical. That's just Benjamin Franklin, right? And so, therefore, like uh, the Jews are in that mode now, thinking, okay, we need to convince God or even force God's hand to do something that we want. Remember that. Then we get this parable. Jesus gave a parable of the widow to tell his audience to. Wait patiently and pray patiently. Hold up. Okay, so let's be sort of like, how many of you are thinking, okay, if you look at that parable and you compare it to there, that means I have to nag God. It sounds like it, doesn't it? I have to nag him to death in order to get what I want, right? How many of you pray every day of the same thing, for the same thing recently? How many of you pray in your prayers prayed for the same thing like almost every day, recently, good. Don't. <laughs> all right. <laughs> this is This is totally. This, Jesus is actually telling us not to do that. Where do I get that? Well, you got to use logic. And who's an engineer here? I don't know. Like, <laughs> oh wait, only Brian. Oh wait, no, Howard. Okay, Howard, I depend on you now. All right. So let's use some logic here. First of all, this judge. What kind of character or person this judge is? He doesn't believe in God. He's a pagan God. Uh, he's a pagan judge doesn't believe God. He could care less about people. So he doesn't even love people, right? He could care less about the widow. So what is needed to those type of people? Persistency. You know, like annoyance. Be an annoyance. Be an annoyance, right? Sort of like my old boss, right? In order for me to get promoted or anything, I had to be annoying, right? And for some people, I still have to be annoying. But anyway, like, you know, you have to be annoying because they don't care, right? Now, who is God, Jesus says? A loving God. A God that cares for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He does want the best for you. So what kind of prayers should we pray to him? Should it be annoying prayers? Continuing nagging of asking what we want? Or should it be a prayer of patience? A prayer of trust? A prayer that one time only thing, saying that God, I trust you. I leave it in your hands and I will now pray in thanksgiving rather than what I want. You follow? There's a difference. It's not, Jesus is not there to tell us, oh, you should be persistent. Continue to pray for your safety of your children. Continue to pray for the safety of your career, of your job. Continue to pray for your health, your wealth, whatever. Right? Continue to make sure that you're healthy, right? Samui Right? How much do you need? A lot of joke, but not at fault. Right? You get it? Sorry. <laughs> but you get it, right? Jesus is telling us not to repeat, not to babble like the Pharisees. Remember there was that one? Not to like be flamboyant about it and just continue to pray because you know why? That's a prayer of anxiety. That's a prayer of worry. What does it mean when you pray patiently? It means to pray of thanksgiving, to acknowledge that God is a loving God. He does hear you. You don't have to continue to bug him because he loves you. You don't have to be annoyance, you don't have to nag him. He already heard you once. Trust them. Be thankful then. Continue to pray in thankfulness then. Where do we get the thankfulness from? Well, guess what, those 10 lepers, how many times do you think they pray to heal? Quite often, right? They're sick, quite often. But then their true heart came out when they were healed. Nine of them didn't come back, only one came back in thankfulness. So what does that tell you about their prayers? Who actually genuinely prayed to trust God? The one that came back in thankfulness. See, praying patiently is two components. Thankfulness, gratitude, but also humbly enough to say that I trust you. That you know what, I'll leave it in your hands, God. There's two components to this of praying patiently. And you know what, it is hard, yes. When, it, when our pride comes in. We like to pray about the things that we want, even though we think that it's honorable, <laughs> right? Good in God's eyes, not really. That's why I always I tend to um, tell people on the rule of thumb, give myself a rule of thumb. Start with thanksgiving in your prayers, end with thanksgiving in your prayers. Yes, it's easy to do the ax thing, but it should be tax. Thanksgiving, thanksgiving. No, wait, that doesn't even work. <laughs> right you get it all right let's move on this is the middle now we, we okay you just may probably notice for those keeners we skip completely the rich young ruler I'll get to that but let's move on uh, in the middle so once again on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come Jesus replied the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed nor would people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst then he said to his disciples the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Verse 25. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation, just as it was in the days of Noah. So also, it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day of Noah and to the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. But the day of Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them. It would be just like this on the day of the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember, Lot's wife? Who can't? Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. he replied. Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Do you want to know the last day of your life, when it will be? Do you you want to know when you'll die? The time, the place, the circumstances? No? I kind of. Like, like, seriously, like, I, I wouldn't mind to tell a guy, look, the way I want to die is to, you know, when I get off a plane, and I'm in travel with my wife, we're kissing, we're smiling, and animals with us, and we blow up, you know. <laughs> at least I die smiling, right? Like, seriously. But, okay, anyway, these Pharisees want to know when. Because they already made a lot of predictions of when Jesus would come, or when would this Messiah, will come, this warrior-like messiah. They made a lot of calculations already. Why did they do that? It's because they, they are worried that if they mess up on that day, they won't get to heaven. How many of you think that? Right? They're trying to calculate things so that they have control of the situation. Why else would my project management course always say, start with outcome and deadlines? Then you can control the situation, right? That's basically it. They're trying to control the situation. The more they know about when it'll happen, they will then map out. Okay, I could sleep with this woman first, repent next week, and then go and eat lots of bacon, repent the following week because I'm going to die this week. You get it? It's like you know they're trying to control their situation, and so <laughs> Jesus is going, "You are completely wrong, dude." <laughs> right? Like uh, this, uh, Jesus will. I will be coming back like a thief in the night, and you have no idea. I could be now, or you maybe tomorrow, or the day after, or the time when you're actually sleeping with that woman. How's that, <laughs> right? And then they would, they would go, ooh. But then Jesus says, look, you won't know, so stop planning. stop thinking, Stop thinking that you can control these situations, because one day, if you continue to do this, you'll lose control, and they did. Lose control. If you know your history of the Jewish history, AD 70, that is when the Romans took one of everybody. So one day at night, Emperor uh, uh, Titus uh, came in. Or oh, actually, he was just governor back then. He came in at AD 70, at night, and then he just took one person out of the bed and the other left. He just grabbed, 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 and then he annihilated the whole entire city. He mowed it down. He mowed down the temple. He pushed it off a cliff. Because the temple was apparently very close to the mountain, so he pushed it off the cliff. It is. Jesus predicted it. He predicted that, but he didn't predict that when he's gonna come back. But the more we want to control, it'll be chaos, he says. The more you want to control, it's gonna turn against you. Why do we want control? It's because of pride. How many of us will want to control our lives? How many of us have been through courses like you gotta plan your career? Right? <laughs> you gotta brainstorm, you gotta you gotta make sure that you have outcomes. What's your desired outcomes? What's your steps? What's your stepping stones? What are those KSIs? What are those, you know? Man, right? Jesus says, no, for you, for your life, trust me. Submit your pride to me. Now, what in the world is that rich young ruler That We all know the story, right? He comes in uh, thinking that, you know what? Okay, I got taught in Sunday school. I got raised by the Pharisees. I got taught well by the masters. And now, oh, hey, there's another guy that's now beating everybody. He's like the top dog now, right? Like Jesus is the top dog. He's above all the Pharisees now. He's above the priests. He seems to know what he's talking about. All I need to do is, is get affirmation from him that I'm coming to, going to the, the kingdom of heaven. Right? That's why he asked it. So he goes up to Jesus and says, look, Jesus, I know you're a smart guy. You're like, you you some one of my major professors that I, that I was following. right? I know I'm doing well. Uh, you know, my like everybody keeps on saying that I'm doing well. I'm a good student of the, of the law. I've been raised by the law throughout my whole entire life, ever since I was a fetus, all the way, because they read the, the Torah right when I was in my mommy's tummy. And then I popped out, ready to go, and now I am a godly child, right? And guess what? Here's my proof. I obeyed so much that I became rich. I'm wealthy. I, I like God has really blessed me with great wealth when I obey the law, because that's what the teachers told me. If I if I'm healthy, am I wealthy? I must be on the God's good books. Right, Jesus? Jesus says, responds and says, What? Uh-uh. Sell off your things. And then you then the original goes, what? Right? I can't do that. I thought that was my reward. I thought that was my ticket. I thought this was the affirmation that I would get. This is proof that I would get to heaven. Why do you want me to sell off my proof, my stamp of approval that everyone has been telling me that I should since I was a a kid? I was taught this, Lord. Jesus, I was taught this. And then Jesus says, well, you're taught wrong. Do you have enough humility to actually admit that you're wrong, that you've been taught wrong? And guess what? He did. He says, no, I can't do that. I can't handle this. I can't handle this new teaching. I can't handle this change of paradigms. I can't handle this, uh, like, the way that you're telling me right now because I can't accept it. I love it too much, too. I've achieved so much. I've been such a good person all my life. How come you don't reward me with the kingdom of God? Jesus says, you got it all wrong. You need to come in humility. You have to check your pride at the door. You have to trust me. Yet he didn't. The rich young man didn't. Now we can't blame the rich young ruler, right? Because he was raised since he was a child like that. And I think that's why it's in the context of children. Look, some of you may not have children, fine, right? Blessings on you, Like uh, it's <laughs> Sometimes there are days when it's better, <laughs> not to have it. But we're all have responsibility when we're adults. <clears throat> Jesus said, do not stumble the little ones. Why did he say that? the rich young ruler was stumbled. Look at all his life, he was taught the wrong thing. All his life, his his peers, his adults that he looks up to, the people he looks up to, his boss maybe, whatever, the Pharisees, even his counselors have taught him that. And then when he meets Jesus face to face, he doesn't go in. How about us? Are we living as an example to other people? Yes, you could say spiritual children, but how about literally the children? When they look at you, will they see something like, oh, is that a glimmer of what it means to be a Christ follower? And if you're not doing something that you shouldn't be, and let's say if if you have a lot of pride and you're creating these formulas for these kids, and it's actually wrong, and they think that's the right way, Guess what, it's better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself off a boat. That's what Jesus said. Let's check our pride at the door first. Look at ourselves, figure ourselves out. Come in repentance because I think it's very honorable and God-worthy and God-pleasing to actually allow our kids, allow young ones to actually see adults repenting and forgiving, don't you think? It's very important for kids to see adults say sorry, apologize, repent, but also see other adults going, I forgive you, and I don't remember a thing, and I'm not holding against you. I have no expectations. I think that's worth it for our children, for all children to see, because that's what it means to be a Christ follower. That's what it means to have faith in God. They also need to hear our prayers. That is not a prayer of anxiety. Oh, my goodness, about this whole uh, coronavirus. So Annabelle has a classmate. And, uh, and we know her prayers, where their prayers are coming from. Because she is so anxious. The little kid is so worried about everyone. She doesn't want to touch everyone, anyone. She doesn't even want anyone to see anyone. She even just spread rumors about other people, going, oh, she must have it, right? Is that a good example to our children? When we pray in anxiety? When we pray for, oh, please let us be healthy, please let us be healthy. The child would think, what, God is not going to keep us healthy? <laughs> what, like, you're worried that, doesn't God hear us? Like, hello, right? Like, But then the children don't know any better. So how are they praying when they grow up? Anxiety. They pray in anxiety. Right. Let's watch our prayers too when we pray with our children or even in public. Let's have faith in God. Check our pride at the door and repent.